Hi, welcome back to Agent Insider. I'm Andy Jewell, and uh, happy to have you here with me today. I don't have any guests with me today because I wanted to kind of take a deep dive into life insurance. And uh, so I just want to talk about some of the different types of products on life insurance. We had Gerald was with me uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about life insurance. And then I'm going to be having a guest next week uh, that you don't want to miss out on. Uh, Stacy's going to be here with me, and we're going to talk about life insurance and kind of how that's impacted her her life uh, personally and what that means to her. So uh, today I just want to kind of talk about different types of life insurance and what those look like, what those mean. I think the reason why we have, I kind of want to start out with um, uh, this is uh, my thought on life insurance. There's a lot of different options, and the reason why we have so many different types of options on life insurance is because you don't have a one-size-fits-all. This is not like a snapback uh, baseball cap where you can just, uh, you know, adjust the sizes for whatever. Life insurance in general is something uh, I would say anybody who has somebody who depends on them for income should have. Life insurance does not replace the person. It only replaces the financial impact to the household. Now, there's, there's a lot of people will say you always need to buy this type of life insurance, and this is the only way. And I've run into that as an, as an insurance agent since I started. And I used to fight against people uh, and realize that really what the problem is, is they just have a small perception of what they're looking at. And they say, this makes sense for in this situation. And so then they just assume it makes sense for everybody. So it's some education on different types of life insurance. There's two basic types. And then as you go down those roads, there's lots of options. So the two basic types is going to be a term insurance or permanent plan. Uh, term insurance is going to be the simplest and the easiest in a lot of ways and um, the least expensive. Down term insurance, there's one little caveat that you go off road on. And I think I talked about this a little bit uh, in a previous episode, but is uh, accidental death benefit. <clears throat> accidental death benefits uh, are going to be very, there's probably the cheapest ones you can buy. They typically don't require um, any sort of medical underwriting or questions. And those ones are very specific about how uh, they are going to pay out. So I tell people uh, that the, the, ter- the accidental death policies are the types of policies where you have to be on a train headed to Shanghai on the first full moon of the year of the monkey. That's the sort of thing that it has to be. So it's very specific. If you get hit by a truck, you would assume that that would be an accident and that would pay out. And it might, but it might not. Because if you get hit by a truck and then you get taken to the hospital and you live in the hospital for 22 days, then you may not get paid out because that clause might be in that accidental death policy that it won't pay out if you're in the hospital for more than 21 days, which is often the case, but it depends on the policy. So it's just something to be aware of. They're very specific on how they pay out and they only pay out if, it's, if you passed away as a result of an accident. They still have a place because if you're concerned about a dangerous job and you're like, hey, I don't want something to happen while I'm at work, it might make, might make sense to do that. So I'm not going to say you should never buy it. I haven't sold one um, in 19 years because typically I would say you should buy uh, a, a policy that will cover no matter what. So that if you had a heart attack while you were at work, that it would still cover you. So, um, but, it, but that is one, one avenue. Just be aware. Those ones are very inexpensive, but they're very limited. So the perils that the insurance company is insuring you against 
is very small, and so the premium is, is less. The next type of term insurance is just going to be more of a standard term, which is going to be like a 10, 20, 30, 40-year term. There's lots of riders you can add on the term insurance, but at the heart, really what a term insurance policy is doing is it says, hey, we're going to lock in this coverage amount. So let's say it's a million dollars of coverage. We're going to lock in this million dollars of coverage, and we're going to have it at a specified rate. So based on your age, uh, your gender, your health background, all of that sort of stuff, they're going to say, based on your risk profile, we're going to charge you, let's say it's $35 a month. So we're going to charge you $35 a month for this million dollars, and we're going to lock in that rate for the next 10 years. So for 10 years, your rate will not change. Every month, it'll be the exact same. At the end of 10 years, there's a couple of things that can happen. So the, at the end of the term, whether that's 10, 20, 30, you could have a policy that's just a straight term. And so as soon as that term is over, it expires and you don't get anything. You got to go buy something else. A lot of policies offer the option for conversion, which I highly recommend. Make sure your policy is renewable and convertible. Conversion means that you can transfer from a term policy to a whole life policy. And renewable means that if you want to keep the policy after the term, you can. The premiums just go up every month. The advantage of those policies is you could come to the end of your term and you might have something going on in your health that you could not qualify for a new policy. So you want to be able to make sure that you can convert it to a whole life policy without medical requirements, or you can continue to pay monthly, even if it's a higher rate per month, you can continue to pay monthly. So I had that happen with one of my customers. Um, he had terminal brain uh, cancer and he was at the end of his term. And he didn't have long to expected to live. And so I was like, we just need to get the family together. We need to keep this policy in force. It did go up significantly on the monthly premium, but there's no, uh, there's no caveats. It'll pay out when he passes away. And so we kept that policy in, in force. And then that way, that benefit was able to be paid out to his wife. So convertible and renewable, are, are, I think, are musts when it comes to term because you don't know what the future holds. Um, then there's also some things that you have on, on term insurance. You can get riders, you can get return of premium, which is kind of creating almost like a, a, quasi, um, a quasi whole life policy. They say, hey, at the end of the term, if you are still kicking, then we'll just refund you your premium. I, I steer away from those just because I was like, if that's what your concern is, is getting your money back, then let's go to that other path, which is whole life. Uh, but that is an option to use on term. The other options that they have on term might be uh, they have uh, writers for critical illness, which just says hey, if you're if you're become critically ill and you're not you you need to cash out some of your policy to pay for uh, issues that you're dealing with on health wise, they'll do that. Usually, those are going to be that you have to have a a terminal illness that you would not be expected to live more than twenty four months. So. There's lots of options and it's something you should really walk through with uh, an agent that takes time to get to know your situation and uh, walks through all the different variations of what you could do. So that way they can custom build it for you. If somebody just walk, if you walk into a, an office or you call a company on the phone and they just want to rattle off something without asking any questions, that's like a little bit of a red flag just to say, hey, why, why, why are you recommending this? Um, because each situation is slightly different.
So, so that's kind of the term path. Um, the other one would be whole life. So if we walk down whole life, it kind of splinters off into a few different options as well. So on the whole life path, you have uh, a universal life policy, a variable universal life policy, uh, an indexed universal life policy, and then you have a whole life, like permanent life insurance. So not to make it too confusing, um, I'm going to try to just narrow it down. Whole life insurance is very straightforward. You're going to pay, um, you know, whatever the rate is per month, and it's going to be locked in until you pass away. And that policy is built for a death benefit. So it's not built for cash value. It's not built as an investment. It's just built to say, no matter when I pass away, this policy will be in place and I'm going to pay a fixed amount that's going to stay the same for as long as I'm paying on it. Very simple, straightforward. Uh, they tend to be a little bit more expensive because that, uh, that rate, is, they're trying to calculate for the insurance company, they're trying to calculate out how long are you likely to live? What is your health? Um, so how much premium are they going to collect before they have to pay out uh, the, the benefit? If you switch over to the other side of the track, uh, you have the indexed universal and variable universal, um, and then just straight universal. Straight universal is not very common anymore. Uh, those are pretty old types of policies from my what I've seen. Uh, I don't use them very often because the those have cash value. All through, all of those accounts have a cash value account, and those part of your premium every month goes into this cash value account, and it accumulates cash value tax-free, uh, tax-deferred, I should say, technically, in case there's a uh, accountant that's listening. Um, and then the, those premiums later will reduce or go away because you have enough cash value built up in the account. The straight universal policies, that money is being held by the insurance company, and they're guaranteeing a rate of return to you. Um, and, and those rates back in the 80s were easy to guarantee because interest rates were super high. We think interest rates are high now, they were nothing compared to what they were in the 80s. So insurance companies were like, hey, it's always going to be like this. And guess what? Like kind of like what that I was talking about the, on the last episode with my mom about how uh, this too will change, right? Uh, interest rates will change. They're not going to stay historically low. They're not going to stay historically high. They're not even going to stay in the middle. They're always going to change. And so that interest rate risk to insurance companies has become significant. And a lot of companies have gotten out of the, those universal policies, not wanting to offer them anymore. And then when they do, they're very conservative in how they offer it because they don't want to lose money. So I don't like them personally. Um, from what I've seen, some of the old ones that had high uh, floors are great. And I tell people, don't get rid of them. Um, but the ones that are offered now, insurance companies are much more conservative, usually not in your favor. So that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm leery of the straight universal. Index universal is going to be that they're going to follow and give you the returns on an index. So you can pick those indexes depending on the company, which index you, indexes you have available. So it could be the S&P 500, the Russell's 2000. They might build like a BNP, um, something that's following uh, you know, energy. Those are all open for whatever the companies want to build out. And so they'll usually give you a cap and a floor inside of that index. So they'll say, Hey, if that index returns uh, anything up to 9%, you earn 9% interest on the money in your cash value account. If it goes over 9%, the insurance company will keep the difference. 
However, on the on the on the other side, the index universal life policy, anyone that's worth buying is going to have a floor of zero, which means that if that year the index goes negative, you do not lose any money. Your cash value account just has a rate of return of zero that year. So even if the market's lost 15%, your rate of return for that year would be zero. On the flip side, when the markets have an up year of, of 20%, your cap is going to be nine. So I always tell people, like, if you are comfortable with understanding that like, on a good year, you, you'll never earn more than that cap rate, but on bad years, you don't have to worry about what the market is doing, then those are great investment tools uh, because that's going to protect you from that downside and uh, you're comfortable with that upside cap. And you recognize really what you're doing is you're buying insurance against down markets and you're using that cap rate to buy that insurance. So the, the, the cash value grows and it follows the indexes. We'll go more into the cash value in a second, but I want to uh, touch on the last one, which is the variable universal life policy. So the variable universal life policy, as it sounds, is variable. So those rates can go up and they can go down whatever the market's doing. So you pick your investment strategy. So you could pick um, you know, what funds you want the cash value to be invested into. And then based on what those funds are doing is whatever your returns are. There are no caps. So if it earned 20%, you get 20%, but there's no floor. So if it lost 15%, you lose 15%. Um, so it's very, it's a lot more volatile, but you have a higher risk and a higher reward. That's really what it boils down to, depending on what it is you want, what it is you feel comfortable with. So again, it comes back to kind of how, how do you feel about risk and, and kind of has to be something that's tailor-made to you. So why would you use a cash value policy when it comes to life insurance? I, I'll, there's a couple of reasons why it can make sense. And I want to go over those briefly. So one is you can use it because you can overfund it in the beginning and then you can stop making payments when you hit retirement age. So that way you can maintain your life insurance through retirement and pass that money on to your, your heirs without having to make payments for it. The reason why you would want to use life insurance to pass money on to your heirs rather than just leaving them a chunk of money is because life insurance operates outside of the tax structures. So there's no tax on the benefits of life insurance. I probably should have led with this from the beginning of this episode, because I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize that is super important. The death benefit on a life insurance policy is tax-free. There is no tax implications, no inheritance tax, no income tax. So when the death benefit is paid out, the beneficiaries have zero tax consequence, and that is significant. Um, so some people will use it for that purpose. They'll say, hey, I want to use it as part of my estate planning, and I want to be able to leave money to my kids, and I don't want them to pay tax on it. So life insurance is a great tool to do that with. Um, the other reason that you might want to use some cash value life insurance would be the uh, tax advantages of being able to pull money out. So for instance, you build up this cash value account, right? So let's say I use the one of the index universal or the variable universal, and I put money into it for 20, 30 years while I'm working. And now I have like a million dollars saved up into my tax, into my cash value of my life insurance. 
I had to be aggressive at how much I put in there. I didn't put in there, I didn't put $40 a month to get a million dollars in 30 years, right? Like anybody who's trying to sell you that, like run the other way. You have to properly fund these. You're going to have to be able to invest four or $500 a month at least into these policies to make them pencil out to where you go, I got a big chunk of money when I hit retirement age. So, and, and you have to look at it at this point now, you're looking at it as an investment. And here's why, because once you have that chunk of money in uh, your cash value account, you hit retirement age and you go, okay, now I, I want to start taking money out. Well, if you have a 401k plan and you start taking money out of your 401k plan, you put that money in pre-tax. And now when you take it out, it's going to be taxed as, as ordinary income. Uh, it, the cash value life insurance, if you put the money in, all of the money that you put in, so your original principal, uh, the first in is what you take first out. So first in, first out goes for life insurance. And so the money that you take out is non-taxable because you already paid tax on it. It was not a tax deduction when you put it into the life insurance policy. Once you've taken out all of your principal, all the money that you originally put in, and now you have your gains, if you just cash that out, it will be a taxable event. It will be taxed as capital gains and you'll pay tax on whatever you take out of it. So the, the, the cool part, what insurance companies have done is that you can take the money. So let's say you got that million dollars and you say, I want to start taking, you know, $100,000 a year out for the next 10 years. Every, t every year as you take that 100,000 out, they take 100,000 of your cash value and they put it in a secured account and it charges 3% interest and it earns 3% interest. So it's offsetting interest rates. And then they loan it to you. They don't cash it out to you. You take it out as a loan. You secured it with your own money and now you're, you're borrowing it from yourself. You're charging yourself interest and you're paying yourself interest so it, ca so it cancels out. And then you can use, there's on a loan, there's no tax, right? So if you take out a loan to buy a car, you're not paying income tax on that money that you uh, borrowed. And it's the same thing with the loan against your cash value life insurance. You're not going to pay income tax on the money that you borrow against the money you've secured. And then you never pay the loan off because when you pass away, your, your life insurance policy pays out its own loan. And the proceeds from the life insurance, remember, is not taxable. So it pays its loan off with non-taxable money and you borrowed that money and never paid tax on it because it was a loan. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, that's kind of the magic of how you can use a cash value life insurance policy to give yourself tax-free income in retirement. And there's a lot of people who've written a lot of books, so I'm not going to write one, um, but one that's really good, um, it's called The Power of Zero by David McKnight. And I would recommend if you're like, hey, this is interesting. I want to go deeper. Uh, he wrote a whole book about it, talking about how you leverage the value, the tax values of life insurance to be able to have a 0% uh, uh, income bracket or 0% income tax bracket on retirement. So the, the, the goal is to say, hey, we, you probably have more write-offs on your taxes now than you will later because- when you're younger, you, you may have children, uh, you're getting tax credits for kids, you might have uh, interest rate, uh, interest that you're paying on your mortgage for your home. Um, there's lots of different tax write-offs that you might have when you're younger that you're not going to have in retirement. And so all of a sudden, uh, people go, well, I, I'll be in a better spot because my income will be lower. It's like, well, you don't have tax write-offs 
And your income actually may not be lower because if you think about how inflation grows, to maintain your same standard of living, you're going to have to have a high income in retirement, even though you don't have as many bills. So uh, a good example of this is my grandma lived in a house since my dad was like, I think he was like six years old when they bought the house. So she'd been there for like 50, 60 years. And uh, she was telling me that she pays more now for her taxes, her property taxes, than she used to pay for her mortgage, which would include her taxes and insurance and principal and interest. So you think about that, like 40 years down the road, just your property taxes could very likely be just as much as what you're paying now for your mortgage, which is kind of crazy until you look at how tax rates go and uh, value pr property values go up, uh, the percentage of tax goes up, and you go, crikey, we're paying a lot in taxes. So you, you really need to think about this as you're planning your retirement is how much, how much do, I, do I need to live comfortably? What are my tax rates going to be? And does a cash value life insurance to help offset some of that tax burden by having some of my income through a non-taxable venue? Does that make sense? If it does, cash value life insurance might be something you really want to consider. Or if you say, I want to have a policy that's going to be there to pay to my heirs, uh, regardless of how old I live to be, and I want to use it as part of my estate planning to pass wealth to my kids, cash value life insurance may make sense. If you say, I just want to make sure that if I passed away today, my mortgage is paid off, term insurance probably makes sense. So I, I think I spent a lot of time talking about both of them, but really what it comes down to is you really need to think about what is it you're trying to accomplish. There's not a one size fits all. Not everyone should buy cash value life insurance. Not everybody should buy term insurance. And you really need to think about what is your goals that you're trying to accomplish and what aligns with those goals to make sure that it's working for you and not for just your agent or the insurance company. So anyways, I hope that's helpful. I know it probably... Uh, opened a whole can of worms and people might have questions. If you have questions, feel free to email me and uh, I will either email you back or maybe we'll do a follow-up episode if we see some uh, common themes of questions that are being asked. Uh, my email address is theagentinsider at gmail.com. So that's theagentinsider at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. I'll be happy to answer questions. Uh, like I said, either via email or if, there, if we have a common denominator, we might do a follow-up uh, uh, podcast just on that. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate you tuning in and I hope you have a great day.